with every sound. Good morning, Transit family. How's everyone doing today? Amen. Can we hear for our acoustic worship vibe team? That was just, man, that was such a sweet worship moment. It was beautiful. So thank you all for coming. If you're new here to the church, my name is Nick. I'm one of the pastors here. We like to go through books of the Bible from the pulpit. And so today we're in Ephesians. We're diving back into Ephesians. We did baptisms last week, and we're jumping back in. So open up your Bibles to Ephesians 5, verses 21 through 33. Um, Ephesians is a letter. If you're new to the church, not sure what Ephesians is. It's a letter written by a key leader named the Apostle Paul, key leader in the early church after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And the Apostle Paul is writing to new Christians in this ancient city of Ephesus, which is in modern-day uh, Turkey, but it was in Asia Minor at the time. It's a very pagan and wealthy uh, port city. And um, the purpose of uh, the Apostle Paul writing this letter around 62 A.D., uh, to, the, to the Christians and the churches that he planted in and around Ephesus uh, about seven years prior. The reason for the letter is this, is he's essentially telling them our serious theme is how um, do you follow Christ in a culture that isn't? How do you remain faithful to Jesus in a culture that's hostile to Jesus? What does it look like to be in Ephesus, but while also, uh, in, most importantly, in Christ Jesus. And so with that theme, uh, where we're at in uh, the letter now is we're near the end, and Paul is kind of narrowing and narrowing and narrowing kind of the application for the first three chapters of the letter. It's all about our uh, identity in Christ, who God is, who Jesus is, what he's done to rescue us from our sins. And then Ephesians 4 through 6 is how are we to live a life of, of, of response to who God is and what he's done. And so what we're going to be looking at today is how our vertical relationship with God uh, changes our horizontal relationship to other people. And if you were here a couple weeks ago, we talked about being filled with the Spirit of God. And one of the verses we, we, we looked at but kind of glossed over because we're going to be talking about this for the next three weeks is verse 21, which will be on the screen. So um, this is setting the stage for uh, our kind of mini three-week sermon series on this topic, which is Ephesians 5.21, which says this, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So raise your hand if you are excited for the next three weeks talking about submitting to one another. Yeah, yeah. Uh, today we're talking about uh, the famous uh, passage, Wives Submit to Your Husbands. Who wishes they were me right now? Yeah, no one, right. Um, and, and what we see is that although Christ uh, was Lord, we saw that he, he yielded, he submitted to the will of the Father for the good of others. And so the Christian ethic is that every Christian, every follower of Jesus, male or female, young or old, you will be submitting and yielding to one another, meaning looking after the interests of others above your own, having this Philippians 2 mindset, mindset of um, not considering yourself a, on a higher plane than other, but taking the form of a servant and serving others. That's what Christ has done. Although he was king, although he was, had that position of authority, he used that for the, the flourishing and the thriving of those under his leadership. And so as we talk about submission, and for the next three weeks, the Apostle Paul, and the next couple of passages, today we're talking about marriage. Wives submit to your husbands. Husband loves your wives as Christ loved the church. And then next week, we're talking about parents. Uh, obey your kids. And then after that, we're talking about essentially uh, employees, uh, honor and obey your employer. Did I say that? Man, I'm sorry. So, uh, disclaimer, I, I got to be honest, uh, I'm, I'm really tired. Uh, so, it's been a crazy week. I've been traveling a lot these past couple weeks uh, for conferences, had a wedding last night, and oh, by the way, my foot is a mess. So, uh, so I'm going to need an extra dose of grace this Sunday. I've, I haven't said that in many years, at least that I can remember. So, don't, you know, parents, you don't obey your kids. That would be the reversal of the rule. Kids, obey your parents. And feel free to correct me if I misspeak, please. Uh, so... The, uh, we're going to pray soon. All right, we're going to pray soon. All right. Um, <laughs> the million-dollar question when we talk about submission is what does it mean to submit, right? Like, makes us cringe. Oh, we think of, like, uh, tyrant-slave relationship. We think of tyranny. And when you hear the word submit or when you hear the word authority, think of responsibility. Don't think of tyranny. It's someone who has this position of influence in the life of others who's responsible to care for, to shepherd, to lead, to protect, to provide, to guide those under uh, their care. And so what Paul is writing to, you know, to these new Christians in, in Ephesus is uh, whether we like it or not, as Christians or non-Christians, is that our life is a life lived consistently under the authority of other people. Or we, God has elevated us to be in positions 
of authority uh, over people. So maybe you're a parent. You're responsible, whether you, whether you know it or not, you're responsible for God for the health and the protection and the flourishing and the shepherding of your kids, right? Um, if you don't like this talk of authority and, and you don't agree that, that all of us are, are, no matter where you're at, what gender, what race, what age, are, are either in authority or under authority, um, and you don't like that, well, just stop paying your taxes and let me know how that works out for you, right? All of a sudden, you'll be like, oh, wait, I guess I am. I do have to figure out as a follower of Jesus how I live in relationship to uh, the governing officials locally and, and nationally that are over me, that God has uh, appointed over me. And so um, if this is a fact of life that um, there are people in leadership roles uh, uh, that we're going to either be in those roles as Christians or under those roles, well, how do we in reverence to Christ properly relate to those people in those positions. And biblically, we see that God is a God of order. He's established leadership and authority structures in our world for the purpose of human flourishing. And what that means is that those kind of at the top in a leadership role, whether a CEO, a a boss, a politician, a parent, those at the top would see it as their purpose uh, to cause those under their leadership to thrive and flourish. They wouldn't abuse and misuse and dominate or, or use their position for their own selfish gain, but would die to themselves and live for the flourishing of, of other people. And if you doubt that today, the, 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 um, the good behind these structures in society, and the reason I want to hone, hone in on this is, one, we're going to go broad, but I'm setting the stage for the next three weeks. Okay, but two, our cultural moment is this. The cultural moment in response to people in position, whether politicians or parents or so on and so forth, of abusing those positions is not reformation of the individual, of the people in those positions or, or structures. Like, like obviously, those, those roles, those authority roles in a family and society are ordained by God, and they're for the cause of human flourishing, and yet it's sinful human beings that are in those positions. But what the response to abuse and to injustice is not to deconstruct and to destroy those positions, but to, in a way that's biblical and righteous and good, is to bring reformation to those things, bring those things in submission to what true leadership looks like given in the model of Jesus Christ. And so if you were today to, to doubt the benefit of um, uh, politicians and, and parents and pastors and, and business owners, imagine today, just imagine, what's today? August 13th, that this, this happens in our nation. Uh, politicians uh, locally and nationally are like, you know what, I'm fed up. Y'all are too much work. We're done. We're on strike. All of a sudden, all the governing officials go on strike. They quit, police officers included. They're just, they're just up and leave. They're positioned. Um, and then parents do the same thing. Man, you know, um, since parents have abused this role uh, of being in authority, I'm going to step down from this role, and I'm going to do what Pastor Nick told me to do and let my kids run the family. <laughs> um, Right? Or imagine, all, imagine what would happen to our economy if all the managers and, and CEOs and, and those at the top of these organizations, if they're all like, hey, in order to, um, uh, you know, whatever, uh, dissolve my hands of, of any, any misstep in leadership, I'm just, we're all just going to leave our post. If that all happened simultaneously, pure chaos would ensue in our nation. Like, like that, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out. And so the reason I share that is contrast is the mother of clarity. These are good. The, the original intention without sin is this is God's good design. God's good design. So today you're going to be triggered. And let me just say this. I didn't write it. And so if you have an issue, don't email me. Take it up with the author. Email God. All right? And so what I'm going to do is my best, what, what I, the reason I'm in this role, the reason God, I believe God has called me is, is, is to disappear and to point you to Jesus and to give you his word and his truth. And I'm happy to meet with you and tarry with you. But this is my encouragement is that it's okay for us to be uncomfortable because for three weeks we're going to be uncomfortable and then guess what we're talking about after submission? Spiritual warfare. And you're going to be even more uncomfortable. And this is good because this is what we believe at the transit, that the Bible is our authority. So it means, what it means is we don't, we don't come and put the Bible on the floor and we stand over it and we make the, the Bible adjust to our preferences. And we do made-to-order theology. Oh, I like what that says. I don't like what that says. I like what that says. No, no, no. We come and we come under the authority of God, and guess, where, and guess who, you know, who adjusts? Does God adjust to our preferences? No, we adjust our preferences to God. We adjust our preferences to God. And so that's what we believe at the transit. That's why we go through books of the Bible at the transit, because if I were to pick, like, uh, out of uh, a million sermon series I could pick, I wouldn't be like, you know what I'm going to talk about? Today, wives submit to your husband. That would be so great. For, you know, like, that's why we go through books of the Bible. We want to give you the whole counsel of God. 
Um, and uh, instead of us being triggered, we don't want to miss the treasure, that this is God's word, and it's God's good design. It's God's good design. And we get our ethic and our view of our marriage not from culture, but from Christ, from the designer. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. We want to glorify Christ. We want to honor him and honor his word. We're not here to uh, sing songs. We're here to worship Jesus. We're not here to listen to a good sermon. We're here to follow Christ and to worship him by putting his word to practice in our hearts. Um, and so with that said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to uh, share this John Stott quote that I forgot. Actually, um, yeah, I'm going to share this John Stott quote, and then we're going to read the text. Uh, this is John Stott, theologian. This is what he says um, about what I just talked about. The God of the Bible is a God of order, and in his ordering of human life and the state and the family, he has established certain authority and leadership roles. And since such authority, though exercised by human beings, is delegated to them by God, others are required uh, conscientiously to submit to it. Submission is a humble recognition of the divine ordering of society. He tells wives to be submissive to their husbands, as to the Lord. Children obey their parents to the Lord. Slaves to be obedient to their earthly masters, as to Christ. That is, behind uh, the husband, the parent, the master, they must discern the Lord himself who has given them their authority. Then if they wish to submit to him, they will submit to them, since it is his, his authority which they exercise. The same is true of the mutual submission expected of all Christian people. It is out of reverence for Christ that we are submit to one another. The Christ who both wields authority as Lord and humbled himself as servant. To summarize uh, our introduction for this kind of series theme embedded in Ephesians would be this. Uh, leadership roles are given by God and they're given for the good of those under uh, those in leadership. And secondly, if you find yourself in a position of leadership, you are to lead like Jesus Christ. He is the example of leadership. Not Steve Jobs, not Jocko, uh, not Joe Rogan. Jesus Christ is our model of leadership. And if you find yourself under someone's leadership, um, and you can be in both at the same time. Some of you are extremely high positions in your work environments or as a parent, uh, shepherding the lives of your kids, but also coming here and, and doing what the scriptures say, Hebrews 13, 1 Peter 5, uh, submitting yourself to the leadership of, of the church, meaning entrusting yourself to the care of these pastors um, with uh, your life and your family. So if you find yourself under someone's leadership, then out of reverence for Jesus, you honor uh, that leader by submitting to their leadership only to the extent that they don't lead you. To disobey Jesus. And we're going to unpack all the issues, all the questions as we dive into our text today, because today we're talking about marriage. We're talking about marriage. So let's read this text, Ephesians 5, 22 through 33, and I'll pray and we will dive on in. Verses will be on the screen. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray. Father, we, we come to you grateful for this morning, grateful that you've given us life, you've given us breath, you've given us community, you've given us uh, the gift of song, you've given us the gift of grace, you've given us the uh, assurance of victory over hell, over our sin. Um, we thank you for that. Uh, we, we come to you grateful. We come to you grateful for your word. Your word is a lamp unto our feet. Um, Jesus, you came as, as the way and, and the truth and the life. You came and you taught, you came and you spoke, and, and you showed a, a world that was in darkness, a world that uh, was blind, um, um, what it means to be in right relationship with God, how to get in right relationship with God, and what it looks like to, to live a life of worship unto God. And so I just pray for all of our hearts, mine included in this room, that you, Holy Spirit, would have your way with our hearts and with your word, that you would search us, O oh God, that we wouldn't, uh, 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 we wouldn't dissect your scriptures like a homework assignment or a biology uh, experiment, we would let your word search our hearts. And the, one of the greatest gifts you can give us, Holy Spirit, is conviction. So we repent, we turn from sin. 
and we turn to you. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, you come, you bring conviction to husbands for ways we've been negligent of our wife's heart. We've been uh, more tyrannical than Christ-like, more selfish than selfless. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would lead these men into a much better model of leadership to, where, we, where we want to know you, Jesus, more. That, yeah, you're strong, but you're also kind and considerate and compassionate. Not selfish, but always, always giving more of yourself for the good of others. And Holy Spirit, would you come and would you, would you do the same for the wives, Lord Jesus, that would you remove any unnecessary obstacle me through um, maybe misspeaking or, or misunderstanding this? Would you remove all the, the distractions, the unnecessary obstacles for all of us to just come and yield to what you have for us? Because Jesus, you have great plans for our marriage. We want to place you at the center. We want our marriage to put your love for your church on display. We want you to be magnified, you glorified in our lives, God. So would you come, would you do that, Jesus? Would you give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation to see you and to follow you? Um, and uh, yeah, you just have your way this morning. I'm pray this in your precious and holy name. And all God's people said, amen. All right, point number one that we see in our text. I got a lot, a lot of ground to cover. Point number one is this. We're gonna start with just talking about marriage in general. Your marriage is meant to display the wonders of Jesus's love for his bride, the church. Your marriage is meant to display the wonders of Jesus' love for his bride, the church. And so right out of the gate, what Paul teaches about marriage is that it's not about you. It's not about your marriage. It's actually your love story is to display a greater love story, God's love story for his bride, the church. And Paul says that this mystery is profound. And what we've seen in Ephesians is a mystery. When Paul talks about the mystery of the gospel, he's talking about something that was once hidden that is now revealed. And he's saying now, followers of Jesus, that we are on the other side of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Him reconciling both Jew and Gentile in one body back to himself. Now he is the bridegroom and the church is the bride of Christ. Now that we're on the other side of that, we just got some new intel on this covenant of marriage. We, we've, we got a deeper meaning. And, and what we thought was just about two people falling, falling in love, actually the truer and better meaning of marriage is it's actually about God. It says it's actually displaying the gospel. It's this living, breathing uh, picture of how the, 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 the bride of Christ loves Christ and how Christ uh, lays down his life and, and loves his bride, his beloved, that he, he ransomed and he died for. If you've ever uh, listened to, uh, you know, dusted off some old CDs, if you will, on, on looking up on Spotify, some old... CD tracks you haven't listened to in a while, and you begin to listen to songs you used to listen to, and, and all of a sudden, as you, you've grown in your, your age from when you were in junior high, listening to this song, you, you, all of a sudden, you have, I don't know if you've had this discovery before, but you're like, whoa, I didn't know that song meant that. You know, usually it's in the negative concept. <laughs> I got to turn that off. Okay. Uh, but, uh, but sometimes it's like, whoa, there's a deeper meaning there. And what, what Paul is doing to these new believers at Ephesus, he's saying, you've been, you've been singing the lyrics wrong the whole time. Uh, there's a deeper meaning to the, to, the, to the love story, to the song that you're singing to each other. Love is actually about God's love and, and, the, and the church's love for Christ. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. That's what uh, the, the thread that Paul is weaving. And then more than that, saying that's what, you're, that's what it's about, if you're newly married, Right? I don't know about you, but one of the best pieces of advice that somebody gave me when uh, my wife Jen and I got uh, engaged and married was find a power couple. You guys want to talk about when I say power couple, like Christian power couple? You know what I'm talking about? Like meaning this, let me define it for you. Someone like 10, 20 years older than you, that they just love Jesus. They love each other really, really well. And it's a picture for you uh, uh, to follow, to model your marriage after. And then the advice is like, like offer them free babysitting, kind of be creepy and stalk them, like watch, study, take notes, discuss, you know, like that's the picture of what your marriage should look like. And, and it, this is what Paul is saying to believers that he's writing to and to us today. Is he's saying, if you want a power couple to base your marriage off, or, off of, look no further than the body of Christ and the bride, the bridegroom, Jesus Christ. Look no farther than the, the most beautiful 
power couple that has ever come into existence. Jesus Christ loving his bride, the church. This is how, this is how we base, that's what Jesus, that's what, that's what the Holy Spirit through Paul is telling us that this is how we are to build our marriage. This is how we are to understand our marriage, and this is how we are to understand our roles in marriage. And I can't make the text say anything different than that. But I think even more than, than me, not, I don't want to apologize for the truth of God's word, but to say this is beautiful, and this is a sacred, and this is a far better view of an example to point us to for us to build our life off, to build our marriages uh, off of. It's beautiful. And um, let me ask you this before we move on to our second point. And we're, we're going to talk about wives and then husbands, following the order of the text. Um, if you're here, even if you're single, if you're single and if you're married, what do you want for your marriage? Let's, 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 let's get real. Let's talk. Let's slow down. What do you want for your marriage? That's, that's the million-dollar question. 50, 60 years down the road, you look back, and are you playing Frank Sinatra? I did it my way. Right? Like, my goal in marriage is to make sure that nobody violates my rights. I get what I want. I'm the head of this household. Everybody yields to my demands. Or nobody's going to tell me to do anything I, don't, I did it my way. Is that, what, is that what we want with our marriage? Is that what we want? Because, honestly, sometimes how we live, sometimes how I live, that would be the end goal because that's how we live. Right? In a way, like, just selfishly consumed with what we can get from the other, not what we can give to the other. What do you want? What do we want with this covenant? Do or do we want to look back and see Jesus magnified in this messy but beautiful covenant of marriage when sinners say I do, but seeing that we did the best to put Jesus at the center and we can look back and say Jesus was at the center, he was glorified and, and our spouses, the other was thriving, not enduring and surviving. After 60 years, right? Because what brings God glory is when the other is thriving, when we're not just surviving. Um, what do we want? What do we want? And then, and then, so that's the win for the Christian is, is the gospel on display, Christ glorified and the other thriving in this, in this companionship. Not kingship, not, not husbands lording it out, not kingship, companionship. This covenant of love, how do we both thrive on our way to glory doing what God has called us to do? That's the win. And if you're here today and single, um, you, one of the most important, there's two of the most important decisions you can make in your life. One is, is who you call master, and the other one is who you are going to marry. And if you are single today, um, aim for the heart, for character, for Christlikeness, for someone who loves the Lord, because if you define your life as living in, 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 under the leadership of Lord Jesus Christ and loving him and following him all the days of your life, you have to be equally yoked. We'll talk about that here with our second point. And, oh, before I move on, um, it's not just about what we want or what we don't want, and, and, and I don't want anyone to feel condemned here this morning. I think the hope of this text is we're praying. If you want to join us for prayer before the service at 9 a.m., we, we pray. We'd love for you to join us. But what I was feeling was this, was Jesus gives us an invitation for every marriage today and every future marriage. He goes, I have a far better, more beautiful plan. I have a, a far better, more beautiful plan for your marriage. If you would entrust your marriage to me, if you would entrust your life to me, it's a far better view. Um, and so secondly, we're going to talk now about wives. And the second thing we're going to talk about what submitting to your husbands look like, I think I, I would define it as this. This is my second point. Wives, your entrusting of yourself to the care of your husband is displaying the glad response of the redeemed bride of Christ to his sacrificial loving care and provision for them. Uh, let me say that again. Wives, your entrusting of yourself to the care of your husband is displaying the glad response of the redeemed bride of Christ to his sacrificial loving care and provision for him. I think this is explicitly what the text of Scripture is saying uh, today. And again, when you hear uh, the command, wives, submit, we, we cringe. We think of all the evil that um, has been done in the name of this Scripture text where uh, some bozo husband says, oh, you need to submit to me and blah, 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 you know, and it's just like I want to hit that guy in the head with my crutches and uh, you know, it's like that's not Christ-like leadership. If you're a husband, you have to tell your wife to submit. You should probably be silent and start serving her and show that you're actually the, the head by how you serve her and how you nourish and cherish her. I'm, okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm 
I won't, I'm not going to be harsh with the wives. I'm going to be harsh with the husbands. All right, all right, here we go. Uh, I'm going to the husbands. I want to stick with the wives. This command of wives submit to your husbands doesn't deify your husband as God. Doesn't deify your husband as Lord over your life. That's not even remotely what that means. Christ is Lord. And as your husband yields to Christ, and as you yield to Christ, this is the picture of what uh, a marital relationship looks like. To the extent that if your husband was going to be like, hey, babe, I'm the, uh, the Lord of this household. You need to watch Game of Thrones with me, and you're a follower of Jesus, and you're like, I can't even mention out loud the sins that are glorified on that show. You're like, I'm not watching Game of Thrones with you. Ain't no, ain't no chance that I'm going to let the Holy Spirit who indwells me have to endure what he had to die for to watch that show. Sorry. I serve Christ. He's king. And, and yeah, like we're in a covenant. You're, you're the, the head. You're, you're, you're responsible for this covenant uh, to answer before God, but I'm, I'm not going there, right? So that would be one example of many of when the husband is leading the wife away from uh, uh, purity and devotion to Christ to say, nope, sorry, line in the sand. Christ is Lord. Um, and so this is what John Stott says. Her husband is not to be an unthinking obedience to his rule, but rather a grateful acceptance of his care. So to submit to your husband is to entrust yourself to his care, to lovingly, freely follow his leadership as he follows the leadership of Jesus Christ. And, and, and what is clear in the text, verses 23 through 24, says this, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And what's clear in our text is that in marriage, according to God's word, husband is uh, the head. Uh, there's this idea of federal headship in the scriptures. And what this means is when you hear the word headship, think responsibility, don't think tyranny. Again, think responsibility, don't think tyranny. Headship implies that there is one person who bears uh, primary responsibility for that relationship. Primary, there is one person in the, the covenant of marriage who's primarily accountable before God for the direction of that marriage, for the health of that covenant, and it's, it's the man. And so for the sake of illustration, imagine with me that your marriage, the covenant of marriage, is you and your wife on a road trip in a car destined for glory. And your husband is in the driver's seat, in the passenger seat in a way, and it's already, like, again, all illustrations eventually fall, fall out. But, but in a way, right, um, uh, what would that journey uh, in a road trip, say you're going from the East Coast to the West Coast, and West Coast is is glory, and, and that describes your, your covenant of marriage, is Jesus, you're both trying to follow Jesus, your husband and you are trying to follow the course to glory that, that Jesus has tracked for you. And, and imagine now, instead of one steering wheel, there's two steering wheels in that car. That would be chaos, right? I've never seen a car with two steering wheels and two brake pedals. Although, I, I <laughs> you know, I'm a really bad uh, backseat driver, and uh, I was at a wedding last night, and I was working on the sermon while my wife was driving, and and there's times where I'm, you know, grabbing this thing, like, you know, like, you know, like this thing will get you to eject out of the, you know, is this the ejection thing? Just kidding. She's a great driver, and I'm just, uh, anyways. And so, um, uh, but you guys, like, the picture, right, of it on a road trip with two steering wheels, that would be, that'd be chaotic. That'd be nuts, right? And, and then let me illustrate it this way. So you all know how car insurance works, and if you get in an accident, how that works, and when the police come, and, and what they say is all they want to know is who's behind the wheel. Who's responsible for what happened inside this car? I don't care about who's in the passenger seat. I don't care who's in the back seat and the back seat and the back seat. All I care about is who's going to give an account for this accident. And that's what headship is. Headship is the man, when he stands before God, and he has a wife, and he has kids behind him, is he's going to stand before God, and God's going to say, okay, you're going to present to me the heart the development, the, spirit, the, the spiritual, physical, emotional health of your wife and your kids, and you're going to give an account before God for that. That's a heavy, that's, that's, that's headship. That's weighty. You're responsible primarily. And so when stuff goes south, it's, it's the, what scripturally what we believe, as, like, that's your responsibility. Obviously, it's not 100% like all the husband, like the wife, you guys are, you don't all get off the hook and be like, yeah, it's all him, I can do whatever I want. Like it's not, it's not a, a primary responsibility falls to the shepherd of the home, that a home should have a shepherd being the father, and a shepherd uh, loves, a shepherd knows, a shepherd leads, a shepherd feeds, a shepherd provides, and a shepherd protects his family. Um, and uh, now, headship, this doesn't mean that women and wives are inferior to men and husbands. 
uh, and have nothing to contribute. Um, let me say it louder for those in the back with maybe your arms crossed, is that uh, men and women are equal in dignity and value before God. Uh, men and women are uh, stamped with the Imago Dei, the image of God, dignity, value, worth. And simultaneously, what we can say in, in, in a way that isn't belittling or, or hateful is that, and we're different, right? And this isn't even, like, it is scriptural, but it's not even scriptural. It's just scientific. It's science. It's, it's just a natural deduction. It's empirical. Men and women are different, right? I don't know if you guys knew that. I know that's shocking in 2023 to say I could get canceled. Uh, I could have people try to burn down my house for saying this, but we're different down to the very strands of our DNA because when God created us, he created us male and female. And so that looks different. Testosterone is coursing through men's bodies, makes them hairier, more muscular, tend to be more aggressive. Women have estrogen flowing through their bodies, which is like kind of the opposite of what testosterone does to men, Right? There's things that, that women are, are really gifted and, and skilled at, broadly speaking, and things that men are more gifted and skilled at, broadly speaking, right? Broadly speaking, okay? Like, this shouldn't offend anybody. Those are the facts of the created order. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. And you have to close your eyes to dismiss any distinction between genders. And not only that, as Christians, we celebrate. This is God's idea. This is God's design. He created us complementary. He created us to be in, in union together. So that when husband and wife come together, there's strengths and weaknesses I have that, that, that she doesn't have. That, and she has strengths and weaknesses that I don't have. So we can come together and complement one another beautifully. And, as in, and then in this covenant of marriage, at the highest point of intimacy, what do we do? How did God create it? And then what do we do? We, more image bearers flow from that union. And they flood the earth. That's how image bearers get replicated is through the covenant between a one, one man and one woman in the holy bounds of marriage and image bearers of God get reproduced and they fill the earth and fulfill the cultural mandate in Genesis 1 and 2. And so we talk scripture, but, but what, I just, what I just said was just scientific fact that if somebody were to dig up my wife and I's bones 2,000 years from now, they would be able to tell what gender we were based upon just the, where, where the science falls, okay? And so what that means is that there's distinction. So then let me, let me illustrate it this way. So then there's a spectrum of then, the, the million-dollar question is, well, how then does this manifest in the marriage? Why submit to your husbands? Husbands love your wives. How, how does this manifest in um, marriage? So there's a spectrum. And on one far end of the spectrum would be, okay, a misunderstanding and misapplication would be wives are to be silent slaves. Meaning that, okay, so if the husband's the head, it means that he is the only one who has the wisdom, the strength, the power, the intellect to lead this relationship the way it should go. So I'm just going to be silent and do whatever he says. If Jen did that in my marriage, we would be toast, right? <laughs> Going back to the car illustration, if Jen was silent uh, on multiple occasions, I would have crashed the car if she didn't speak up. That's not the application. The other application or misapplication is just sabotage of the roles. And you say, I don't like this at all. It makes my skin crawl. Um, and so I'm not going to see myself on equal status. I'm going, I see myself as the leader. And I'm going to drag my husband out of the driver's seat. I'm taking the driver's seat. He has nothing to offer. He's a bozo. And uh, I run the ship. And I'm going to steer the course of this marriage. And that's not, that's not an application. That's, <laughs> that's the opposite of what this text is encouraging to do. So what does it look like? I think it's simply like this. Loving support right? So it's not silence. It's not sabotage. They all start with the letter S. So what I came up with was support, meaning this. My husband bears the responsibility as a shepherd for me and our family to protect, to provide for us. That's a hard role. He's capable of a lot, and so am I. So am I, wives. Like, women, like I've, been, I've been gifted. I'm capable of a lot. He has a lot to offer to this covenant. I have a lot to offer as well. There's things that he can do that I can't do, and there's things that I can do that he can't do, Okay? Let that be said. So now let me prayerfully discern how I can help him fulfill that role of shepherding my heart um, as we go and follow Christ on our way to glory. And as I shared before, is that Janice consistently, lovingly um, uh, had the freedom in our marriage to uh, voice her, take her opinions uh, on things. And I, uh, like, 
for parenting two daughters and the discipline situations. And Jen, uh, more often than not, will come to me and say, hey, you missed it. You missed your daughter's heart. This is how I see it. You got to go back. And I, and I, and I, and I wait. And, I, and I'm like, she's right. And I have to go back. And I apologize. And I, and I hold my little daughters. I'm, I'm so sorry. I came down pretty hard, you know. And, um, and so um, do not women think that this text is saying silent slavery. That's not it at all. It's God has created you beautifully and wonderfully. You're made. You're gifted. And your husbands need you. Husbands, can I say amen? Can you say amen? Your husbands need you and need the gifts and the strength that you bring to the table. And so I'm going to talk about application, and then we're going to talk about the husbands and, and close with communion. In order for us to talk about the application of how this applies to wives, you first have to come into agreement with what God's word says about the role your husband plays. Um, and so first and foremost is that today as you're taking communion, uh, begin to talk to the Lord. If any way that um, this is... Uh, Maybe, maybe, maybe it's been, I don't know where this is landing with some of you. I know this is a really hard topic, a delicate subject for some of us. But begin to talk to the Lord and say, God, would you just show me in my heart um, where I can uh, love my husband the way you're encouraging me to love my husband? Would you, show, would you begin to maybe heal areas where my husband has, has hurt me and spoken things over me or, or whatever? Would you just give me wisdom? Would you, would, you, would you women today, first and foremost, entrust yourself into the care of Jesus Christ, your Savior? with communion, what, what we're all going to do today. So Jesus, you know best. Would you come and lead and guide me by your spirit? And then secondly, what it does say in our text is that wives uh, respect your husbands. It says, husbands love your wives and wives respect your husbands. And respect isn't a feeling. Respect is how you treat someone. And so, um, you know, maybe wives, your, your husbands might be dying to hear you say and have never heard you say something to this effect. And it's got to be sincere. Don't say verbatim what I said. Don't ask me to email this to you. You create it yourself. <laughs> <laughs> is, hey, I haven't said this in a long time. But I want to say thank you. Thank you for being you. Thank you for your leadership, for your love for me. Thank you for, for, for the demands that you're meeting with work and then coming home and the way you're, you're loving me and loving me. I just, I just appreciate you. And, and I see, I see how, how hard that, that burden is is on you, and I just want to appreciate you and say thank you. Have you said that recently to your husbands? That would, I think that would be what respect might look like today. And so take that before the Lord, um, but there's a response. When we come to God's word, we want to respond in, in repentance and, 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 and faith and obedience, okay? And so now let's talk about the husbands. Uh, point number two, husbands, your constant sacrificial attention and affection for your wife is displaying the wondrous love that Jesus Christ has for his bride. The command in our text today is not wives submit, husbands boss. It's wives submit and husbands love. Okay, well then, begs the question, well, how are we to love? The way that Jesus Christ has loved his bride. And if we, why, if we were to take a poll, men and women, of which command here, which ex exhortation is harder to fulfill, which is kind of uh, more shocking, uh, more difficult, I'll let you decide. But let me say, loving someone the way Christ has loved the church looks like a lot of pain and a lot of tears and a lot of suffering and a lot of trial and a lot of dying to yourself, right? And so husbands, you can never, ever call dibs on I'm the head, submit to me if you aren't clothing yourself in the servanthood leadership of Jesus Christ. Give me a break. Don't you dare, don't we dare call dibs on that if we're not washing feet, taking the, the strikes on the back for our bride tearing with her in love, drawing near, not keeping distant, nourishing and cherishing her. Don't we dare call dibs on submit to me if we're not cherishing and nourishing her heart the way Christ has his bride. Jesus washed feet. He was beaten. He was mocked. He was spit upon. He was rejected. He was crucified, all for the sake of the love that he had for his bride. And Paul lays out a list of five verbs that Jesus Christ in our text, we see he loved his bride. He gave himself up for her. He died for her so that she could live. He sanctified her. He cleansed her that he might present her to himself. Thank God Jesus didn't sit in a recliner with a bell and demand the bride of Christ, make him a sandwich, and hand him the remote to the TV. That's not Christ-like leadership. <laughs> Sorry. That's not. That's not what Jesus did. He left his throne. He took on the form of a servant. He came running. He pursued. And by his spirit, he, he, he has a steadfast, sacrificial love and attentive care for 
his bride, Jesus as head of the church. His role as leader and head of the church used his role not for selfish gain, but it cost him his life. And he saw it as his responsibility to die, to give his life so that the other could go free and could live. Mark 10, 43 through 45, Jesus says it crystal clear in regards to leadership roles and how leaders are to follow the model of Christ. But it shall not be so among you men, you husbands, as heads of the household, shepherds in the home. Let it not be said among you. Whoever would be great among you, have a leadership title, must be a servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For Jesus Christ, even the Son of Man, the Son of Glory, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, came not to be served, to use his position to be served, but to serve. And to lay down his life and give his life as a ransom for many. And that's why we're here today not in our sins. That's why we're here today and sanctified and cleansed. That's why we're here today and we can say that sin can no longer separate me from God. I'm in a covenantal union with Christ. All because he laid down his life. He used his position to serve and to die. To sanctify and to resurrect a lost, dead, dying bride that he drew near, brought near to himself. And if I were to summarize what the exhortation of the Apostle Paul is to husbands, saying, husbands, you are the incarnation of Jesus continued in your house. What else does love your wife as Christ loved the church? You are, you are to be, not literally, this blasphemous, but you are to be Jesus in the flesh, incarnate, the incarnation continued to your wife. That's, that's the exhortation. So you want to know how to lead? We don't go to Jocko. We don't go to Steve Jobs. We look to Jesus Christ. And we can't love and lead like Jesus if we don't know him, husbands. So the best gift that we can give to our wives is our love for Jesus. Going deeper in our love of him, our knowledge of him. Crying out to him for help where we failed. I know I'm being hard, like, like, like I don't, I don't want to be too harsh, you know, whatever. I don't want to be condemning. But there's a beautiful invitation, husbands, for us to um, deconstruct cultural things maybe we saw growing up of what it means to be a man of a household and reconstruct what it means to be a husband by what Jesus and his word says. Jesus loved the church as his own body. I love this line, one application, and we'll close with communion. Verse 28 through 29. In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Um... The bottom line is this, all of us are obsessed with our bodies to the extent that it's creepy, right? Exhibit A, stomach saying, I'm hungry. Oh my gosh, stomach, you're hungry? What, what do you want to eat? Man, I'll go get you pizza. You want sushi? We go get that sushi place. I can make you eggs. I mean, like stomach, what do you want to eat? I love you, stomach. Oh my gosh, you're hungry. What? Body, you're cold. You're shivering. Let me close. You know what? Go on Amazon. Get yourself like a $500 North Face if you're cold. Like... <laughs> Like, let me clothe you, right? Are you sad? Let me cheer you up. Let's, do you want to watch Netflix? Do you want to go for a walk? But body, like, body, are you tired? I got, this fresh, I got this freshly roasted coffee that I can make you this beautiful pour-over body. I don't want you to be tired. Like, we're obsessed. We're consumed with our body. We cherish our body. We nourish our body. And that's what the scriptures are saying. Husbands, that's how you should be obsessed with your wife's needs. That's the standard. Right? When your wife comes to an emotional or spiritual or physical need, and we say, I see it as my responsibility to be the, outside of Christ, the primary person that meets, seeks to meet those needs for you, to provide for you, to care for you. Right? And that's how your brain works, being the head of the body. Your brain's constantly thinking about, hey, my foot hurts. I need to go to the doctor. I need to get a cast. You know? Like, okay. And so the, the head is constantly thinking about the thriving of the body. Right? Okay, man, I got to stretch out my guys. I got to take Tylenol. I got to do all, you know, I got to PT. I got to, the brain is thinking constantly. The constant thought of the head is the health of the body. It's not just the health of the, the brain. It's the health of the body. And so as someone in a, in a leadership role, what your, your finger on the pulse is in your home, biblically, I'm responsible. I want, I want to love and care for my wife is, man, how's she doing? Am I praying for her in my time with the Lord? Am I listening to the Lord and and, and seeking to follow his leadership on how I, can, how I can shepherd her heart, how I can provide, how I can meet her needs. 
love your wife the way you love and cherish and nourish your own body. And then even a step further, to the extent that you love her more than you love your own body, because that's how Jesus loved the church. That yes, you would live for her, but also be willing to die for her. So the questions for application husbands, and then we'll respond with communion is this, is husbands, is this how we're loving our wives? Are we putting the love of Jesus on display for how he, as a strong yet kind and compassionate shepherd, has loved his bride, the church? Are our wives starving for affection and attention? Are they starving for care and comfort? Stated differently, are they surviving, barely making it, or are they thriving being, being married to us? So this is something I've wrestled with this week that I've had to go to the Lord with. Conversations with Jen about. And I want to encourage us to, to not grade a, a sermon today. That was an A plus, that was a D minus, you know, whatever. But to say, no, no, no. I'm going to, all of us on stage, off stage, are going to answer to God on, on, on how under the grace of God, empowered by the spirit, we sought to yield to his lordship in our lives. So one, husband, let's pray. Let's repent where needed. Let's break off condemnation and, and, and guilt. Um, but ask the Holy Spirit to come and search us and see if there's any uh, way in us uh, that is not the way of Christ and to lead us in the way of repentance, to love our wives the way Christ has loved us. And my last charge would be this before we respond with communion. Uh, and band, you can come on up, uh, would be this. Husbands, stop making it your goal to be served and start serving your wife. To be head of the household, it, it work. I'm just going to shatter cultural standards of what this means. And every, every marriage is going to be different. Obviously, I'm not saying wives don't serve your husbands or whatever. But from the leadership model that Jesus gives us, husbands, we need to lead by example. And we need to stop going to our wives to simply be served, but to see it as our role and responsibility to serve at great cost to ourselves to make sure that she's thriving and not just surviving. Stop being served and start serving. And serving looks like something. It looks like, one, starting a conversation with your spouse. Husbands, you leading on the other end of this sermon uh, in a healthy way. Hey, one, babe, let me help you out, husbands. Here are a couple questions you can ask. How's your heart in this season? How's your heart in this season? And then what you're doing there is how can I begin to, to lovingly care for and shepherd your emotional and spiritual needs in this season. Husbands, have you asked your wife that question lately? Have I asked my wife that question lately? How's your heart? What's going on in your mind? Let's talk. Let's pray together. Let's go to the scriptures together. And then secondly, not just how's your heart, but then let's talk about meeting physical needs. Hey, if you're worn out and stressed out, how can I help? How can I help? How can I help and serve you this week? What are some physical needs? Like me and me take the kids, um, you know, um, my wife would be like, hey, my heart's, are, my heart's fine. Dishes need to get done. <laughs> you know, like could be that. But that should start a conversation under the grace of God empowered by the Spirit. Um, no condemnation. Um, but let's go with communion. We're going to we respond to the preaching of the word by celebrating um, uh, the sacrificial love of our king. On the night he was betrayed, he shared a meal with his disciples. And he broke bread with them. And he said, this bread is going to represent how I'm going to, my body's going to be broken so that your body's going to be restored. And uh, this wine, take this wine, it's going to represent my blood, which is going to be shed uh, for your sins. It's going to be spilled out so that uh, now rivers of living water will flow through your life. If you, uh, need, if you want to, if you're here and a follower of, of Jesus with us in good standing with your church, we invite you to take communion with us. If you don't have communion elements, they're in the hallway on a table. Feel free to, to grab those there. But um, what I felt like the response was uh, for communion after this message was, was this. Communion is us, in the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, entrusting themselves again to their Savior, to their shepherd. And so today, you guys can start praying, start fellowshipping with God in prayer. And what I want to encourage us today is entrust yourself to the care of your shepherd again. In the midst of your sins, maybe there's lots of condemnation or, or maybe brokenness that gets, gets, needs to get healed. Or I don't know what your background is or where your marriage is at or, or where this message has landed. But what I do want to encourage you to is that there is a Savior and he has a table. And it's a table of grace. It's a throne of grace. And he says, come to me just as you are. I want to take your brokenness into my hands and bring healing. I want to take your sin and bring forgiveness. I want to take your marriage that's rocky and messy and bring renewal and restoration. 
And so let's do that today. Let's entrust ourselves again to the care of our good shepherd. And the second thing that this meal symbolizes, this is a picture of what we're gonna be doing at the marriage supper of the lamb when Christ restores all things. This is a beautiful picture. I'm gonna conclude with this. Exit stage left and then we'll worship and take communion together. Revelation 19, six through nine says this. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of the mighty peals of thunder crying out, hallelujah for the Lord our God, the almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to him, said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your shepherd-like care and affection for your flock. Jesus, you alone know what's going on in the hearts and the minds of those that have listened to this message. You are the only one who knows that. The fears the hurts, the betrayals, the confusion, the questions being raised to you, and the invitation of you with this meal is to come to you with those questions, to come to you just as we are, to entrust ourselves to your care time and time again. And so would you do that, Holy Spirit? Would you come and would you bring healing? Would you bring the reassurance of pardon? Would you bring direction? Would you restore marriages that are broken? Would you instill fresh faith and hope to those that are, are married to non-believers that there's coming a day where their spouses will confess you as Lord? That you're still reigning and ruling over our mess over the hardship, over the suffering. You're so kind. And you're so caring. And you don't keep us at a distance. You invite us to come close. So Lord, as we draw near in this meal, would you by your spirit draw near to us? We love you and we thank you for your leadership and your constant care for us in our lives. We pray this in your name.